If you brought your Bible, and I encourage you throughout this series to try and get in the habit of, of bringing your Bible with you and uh, just taking some notes right there in it. Um, if, you, if you did bring it, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. It's, it's toward, the, uh, toward the back of the Bible. We're going to start in verse 11. And um, if maybe it's been a couple weeks since you've been here, or maybe this is your very first time, I want to let you know we are in part four of a series we've titled Countercultural Living. The book of 1 Peter is a very countercultural book. And uh, this message in particular that we've titled Do What? is uh, definitely the most countercultural thing so far that we have encountered in uh, this letter that Peter is writing to, um, to the church. Because really, it runs counter to everything that we uh, hear in society, and it runs counter to a lot of what is just naturally inside of us. And so, um, anyway, it's, it, should be, it should be good. Uh, we're going to jump right in to uh, verse 11 in First Peter chapter 2. But before we do, would you guys join me? Let's uh, bow our heads and ask God to help us this morning. Lord God, we uh, just thank you for being able to come together and study your word. We pray, Lord... Um, that you would just help all of us uh, open our hearts and our minds and um, help us to just focus in on on you and uh, what you might be saying to us this morning. We pray that um, this would just give us insight and bring relevance to our lives. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, so verse 11 starts like this. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. And we talked some about this last week. Um, But, you know, just to kind of give you a little recap. So uh, Peter is the author of this letter. And he is writing to foreigners and exiles who are scattered all across the Roman Empire, particularly in modern-day Turkey. And so he's writing to um, these folks. And they are Christians who are being persecuted for their faith. It says in verse 12, he says, uh, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Now, this is a verse that I just want you to kind of hold on to this one. We're going we're gonna to come back to this toward the end of the message. But this verse has tremendous significance for what we're going to talk about today. This idea of our lives being an example to others, of our lives being a witness to what God has done in our lives in a way that's going to bring God glory and honor, that, that is huge for today. So just kind of pack that one away. You'll see it again in a few minutes. But here's where things start to get crazy. Okay, so stay with me. Verse 13. Peter writes to these exiles being persecuted under Roman rule. He writes, submit yourselves. Do what? Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by the emperor to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Now listen. You guys, if you were living 2,000 years ago and you had opened up this letter from Peter, okay, this is totally crazy stuff that you're reading right here. Submit yourselves to every human authority. I mean, even the Roman authorities. This is crazy. But Paul, 
the Apostle Paul, writing in, in really about the same time frame that Peter is to a similar audience, Christians who are being persecuted for their faith, Paul says the same thing in Romans 13.1. He says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. So what's up with this? I mean, to every human authority? Are, are, are they serious? How do we make sense of that? Well, here's the deal. The idea here with these passages is that these human authorities exist. So like these governments, even governments that go wrong, they exist to provide law and order and structure to societies and civilizations. If they didn't exist, so God has kind of ordained in a, in a broad sense, you know, a, a way for societies to come together and for things actually to take place so that we don't just have total chaos and anarchy, right? I mean, how many have uh, heard of the book Lord of the Flies or seen that movie? You know, it's a classic, classic deal, right? Where there's all these boys that are just on this island. There's no structure. There's no law. There's no authority. It's total and complete chaos. I know that in my house, um, every third weekend, my wife, who is a nurse, um, she ha- works these long shifts, and every third weekend she has to work. And so um, this happens to be one of her weekends. And so uh, yesterday I was with my kids for, you know, from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., and it was total chaos. I had three kids, you know, under the age of seven. I had a six-year-old, four-year-old. It was, it was total madness. It was total chaos. So uh, what, what um, Paul and Peter are saying here, what God is saying, is that, that, you know, human authority um, is, is ordained by God. It, it helps us as societies to function. But here's the question that you would be asking if you're reading this letter 2,000 years ago. But seriously, to Nero's authority? That's crazy. Many, is, many of us have heard of the name Nero, and we're not even sure why. Nero was like the craziest of all the Roman emperors. I mean, he was the one that uh, basically blamed the great fire of uh, 64 AD on the Christians, and he just set, was setting Christians on fire. I mean, just he, was, he killed Christians for sport. I mean, he was totally nuts. Um, now, it hadn't got that bad yet. This letter is just before that happened, when Peter's writing this letter. But still, if you're a Christian in that time period and you're reading this letter, what's happening to you is, um, you know, you're considered an enemy of the Roman state. And the reason you are is because you refuse to pray to all the Roman gods who the Romans believed were the reason for success of the empire. So if you weren't praying for those gods, you were definitely an enemy of the state and you would be losing your job, you'd be losing your home, you'd be losing your total uh, support system, your community, uh, you'd be ostracized from your family. This is the kind of persecution that was going on uh, at that time. And so, you know, these Christians are wondering, so seriously, you're saying to submit to that authority that is oppressing us? What's up with that? Well, there's four words in this passage that you cannot miss because they're paramount for understanding this. It's in second, It's in 1 Peter 2, verse 13. So if we can go back one slide. It says, submit yourselves, and then I want you to underline or circle or whatever these next four words, for the Lord's sake to every human authority. For the Lord's sake, you're to submit yourselves to every human authority. Now, this is huge, you guys. Even though that authority may have gone wrong, even if that authority is persecuting you, what what the Bible is telling us is we're supposed to submit to that authority for the sake of the Lord. 
Now, let me explain. Let me give you two rules that are clear from the Bible for our submission to human authority. Rule number one is this. Our ultimate allegiance is to Jesus Christ. That's our ultimate allegiance. You can never lose sight of that. We're starting today in the second chapter of Peter's letter, verse 11. The way that Peter begins his letter, the starting point, the framework for our faith, and this is throughout the Bible, but I've just boiled it down for you, the first two verses, to very succinctly, here we go, to God's elect who have been chosen to be obedient to Jesus Christ. So first and foremost, we answer to God before we answer to any human authority. Rule number two is we submit to human authority unless we're called to do something that God forbids or we're called to not do something that God clearly commands us to do. So these Christians were commanded, you know, to worship God and to put no other gods before God. So they weren't commanded, even though they're supposed to be submitting to, uh, you know, the, the Roman Empire, they're not, they're, they're not, in submitting to authority, commanded to worship Nero. They're not commanded to worship these pagan gods that the Romans were worshiping. And Peter is a great example of this, actually, because in, in the fifth chapter of the book of Acts, uh, Peter and some of the other disciples are going around and they're, they've seen Jesus resurrected. So he's died and he's been resurrected and they've seen the risen Jesus Christ. And so they can't shut up about this, you guys. I mean, they, you know, they, they're just going all over telling everyone they can that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. He's God. He's the Savior. You know, they're, they're just spreading all this news everywhere. And they get confronted by the authorities. And look what it says in Acts 5, 28 and 29. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, meaning in the name of Jesus Christ. That's what the high priest said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. And it says that Peter and the other apostles turned and said, we must obey God rather than human beings. So we submit to human authority because it's been ordained by God. It's the way God provides some order in this crazy world that we live in. But we never... We never submit if it's something that God is clearly against. And we've got to be very clear on that one. All right. I'm going to ask Danielle uh, if you would come up here and join me. And um, just curious, a show of hands this morning, um, how many of you guys have heard of Casa Chiralagua? Show of hands. You've heard the name Casa Chiralagua? Okay, maybe about half of you. The other half are asleep maybe or something. Um, all right, Danielle, there you go. You want to do a sound check on that real quick? Test. All right. Um, could you guys give a, a big grace welcome to Danielle? Well, I want to say thank you to all of you. Grace Community Church has been an amazing partner in ministry with and let me the just, work that we do. And let, let me just stop right there for a second. I'm going to tell you what, you know, basically what, what Danielle and uh, Casa Chiralagua do is they are down in Alexandria, Virginia, just trying their best to love our neighbors down there, many of whom, almost all of them, are um, immigrants to this country. And, um, and so they have an amazing organization that many of you guys are involved in uh, from Grace. So, um, yeah, now go ahead and 
here. Thank just you. very thankful for your generosity and for those of you who have given your time and your talents and have built relationships with many people in our neighborhood. So thank you for all that you have done um, on behalf of the Lord in our neighborhood and for our neighbors. Good deal. So uh, as part of um, working with an immigrant community down in Alexandria, uh, where you actually moved in to the neighborhood and were living in that neighborhood um, among your neighbors. Um, tell us about some of the tension that you felt, because really why I brought Danielle up here is to help us to see how this stuff, the, the, this, these words we're reading out of First Peter chapter 2, actually have bearing for us today. And they've had bearing, tremendous bearing in your life as you felt some tension between, you know, trying to do what you believe God is telling you to do, but also submitting to human authority. So tell us a little bit about that. Uh, when I first moved into the neighborhood, it came to my attention that we're, there were a number of people who were not in the country legally. They were what we call undocumented immigrants. And so when I first moved into the neighborhood, I very, had a very simplistic view, thinking that the problem with immigration is that if people just didn't employ people who are in the United States um, unlawfully, that then there just wouldn't be a problem and they wouldn't come. But then I realized that the, the issue is much greater than that and that it involves the separation of families. It involves people who are in um, very desperate situations. And I realized that it's much more complicated than that. So I started to say, well, as a Christian, I should go to my Bible to find out how God would want me to respond. And I found that uh, in the Hebrew context, the word her, G-E-R, uh, is found uh, over 90 times. I believe it's 92 times. So that when you say Hebrew, that's the Old Testament, right? The Old Testament, yes. And so um, and that word refers to an immigrant or an alien, a stranger, um, it could be translated in different ways, but every time it seemed like that I would find that word, any of those words in the Old Testament, it was a compassionate response, and that God was saying that you are not to mistreat the stranger among you. And he was saying this to the Israelite nation over and over again. And then in Psalms, he says that he is the father to the stranger and the father to the widow, and he was putting the immigrant in the same category as the widow, the orphan, and the poor. And so it became very evident to me that God was um, communicating to his people that that this was one of those vulnerable groups, and therefore you as, as Christians and my followers, or in the Old Testament, my people, you should respond in this way and be loving. And then as you look to the New Testament, you have multiple examples of where Jesus says, you know, you have the good parable of the good Samaritan, you have um, the separation of the sheep and the goats, and just different ways that Jesus commands over and over again to love your neighbor. And I started to think, well, it doesn't say love them if they're lawfully in the United States. And so how do I, how do I deal with that? Yeah, how do you make sense of that? And yet still this call to submit to human authority. So yeah, you, you guys have really been wrestling with that issue. And then uh, so that was kind of when you came in in the beginning part, trying to figure that out and really consult what does the Bible have to say about this thing. And then about a year ago or so, you had something else came up that, that forced you to really think about this issue too. Probably almost everyone in this room remembers, I believe it was about a year and a half ago, when um, Arizona tried to pass some legislation that would deeply impact the immigrants that are within the borders of this nation. And it was very divisive. And, um, and it, essentially part of when that, that law was passed, I started to think, well, if I lived in Arizona, there could be the possibility that if I took 
one of my friends in the car with me to the hospital and I were to be stopped, that I could be prosecuted for assisting someone who is in the United States um, illegally or without documentation. And so I had to start to think to myself that if similar um, law legislation were to pass in Virginia, would I be willing to still do what I do? And um, is my command to love my neighbor, which God gives me, would it supersede that? Yeah, big stuff. So you can see how that's really very relevant today. Um, so I want to back up for a minute and I want to say, so what in the world possessed you? You know, how did you get to a place where you decided I'm going to kind of live my, leave my comfortable life and I'm going to move in and live a very simple lifestyle, you know, in a low income area uh, to try and love my neighbors. Um, you know, what, what brought you to that? And just kind of take us through the beginnings of Casa Chiralagua. I met some friends and we said that we were kind of tired of living our lives very normal and wanted to really um, take our Christianity to the next level. And um, we had all spent time in Latin America and were very passionate about those people. And we said, why do we serve them when we it's glamorous and we go overseas, but we're not doing anything about it in our own backyard? And so we identified a neighborhood and just moved in and said, how do we try to be Jesus um, the presence of Christ among people who maybe normally we wouldn't build relationships with. And so we moved into the neighborhood and just started throwing parties <laughs> and um, celebrating the birth of babies, celebrating weddings, celebrating um, birthdays, and um, just inviting neighbors over for dinner and getting to know them. And did, were they just openly like, oh, this is great, or how'd that go in the beginning? Well, everybody started to help us move into our apartment, and at first I started thinking, they're taking my stuff, and um, was very, like, you know, watching over everything, but everybody was very hospitable. I also later learned that behind our backs, it, everybody was a little leery. Who are these crazy gringas that are moving into our neighborhood when they don't have to? Um, people live here because they have to, not because they want to. And then also other people thought that we were sent by the U.S. government undercover to seek things out, search them this out. This is what an undercover person looks right. like right here. This is me. Just in case you want <laughs> Very interesting. So, um, and, and you had no agenda. Yeah. I mean, well, you had, I mean, you, you had a general idea you wanted to love and help and serve, but, I mean, you didn't come in with already a game plan in place. And I think, was it about eight months go by? And you're just trying to learn. This is so impressive to me. This is so incredibly impressive. Because how many times do we go in thinking we already have all the answers and we know what to do for a group of people that are nothing like us? We know how they work and what's going to work for them because that works for us. And you guys didn't do that. So tell us, so through that period of eight months, what did you find out? What did you learn? After that period of eight months, we found out that many of the parents started coming to us saying, can you help our students uh, with their homework? Because... I can't read it. I don't know what it says. We have many parents who have about a third grade education in their home countries. And so um, the idea of the homework was very overwhelming to them, but they really want their kids to get an education so that they can have a different um, standard of living and a different situation in the future. And so that was one of the main things that they came to us and asked, can you respond in this way? So we started a homework club in our little living room apartment um, one friend came over one time after a day spending with us. She was like, 
I'm exhausted. This place is like a community center. <laughs> and, um, but we just started let, having that homework club in our homes, and then eventually it developed into a full-fledged after-school program, and now we have a not-for-profit called Casa Cherry Lagua and a program called Kids Club that responds to the students in our neighborhood. So that's really the heart of what you do, or the kind of like the, the, the flagstone program, would you say? And all of those students also receive mentors um, that will meet with them once a week. Many of many people, many faces I see in, out in this crowd are actually mentors for some of our students. Cool. Um, and, and, but it's not just the kids. I mean, we can see how that dramatically helps them. Um, but, but how does it also help the, the, their parents? I mean, how does it help the families? Tell us a little bit about that. The, the mission that we've developed is um, developing relationships with families to see the Cherry Lagua neighborhood transformed by Christ. So we recognize that these students are not these little uh, individual pieces running around, but they're part of a family unit, and that we need to engage with that entire unit in order to really be a support for them um, and to love them in a holistic way. So um, we get involved with the families, and we know many. We're friends with many of the parents, and know them pretty well of the students in our neighborhood. And then one of the uh, moms that you got to know um, was working at a dry cleaners. And tell us what you discovered about that, and how again you felt a real, you know, th- this whole idea of the tension between okay, the human authority, what we're supposed to do within the law, and then, but then our responsibility as as Christians. Just unpack that for us. Um, one of the mothers uh, called us, she's a very dear friend, and said uh, the, at the place where she had been working for the past seven years that the, she had gone in that morning and her boss told her that she was going to need to work an additional 10 to 15 hours a week, but he was cutting her pay by $50 a week. So from, I believe it was $355 a week, he was now going to pay her $300 a week and expect her to work more hours. And she said, no, I won't do it. And he said, fine, if you won't do it, I'll find somebody else who will. And she was um, undocumented, so she felt that she had no recourse. So she called us and was crying, and we came and we met with her. And we went inside to meet with this employer um, who really wasn't a walk in the park, and it wasn't very enjoyable to be around him. And he treated me horribly, I felt, about this small after I walked out of there. And we started to say, well, what do we do? So we called a friend who uh, spent some time working for the Department of Labor. He also worked at the White House and now is a pretty high-powered lawyer in Washington, D.C., who who does pro bono cases. And we said, would you be willing to take this? And he said he would love to. So So even even though this person was was undocumented and working, Mm -hmm. that... There's still, there's still some legal recourse that happens, even though that was technically illegal? Well, we found that she had a tax identification number because many immigrants, even if they don't have papers, are actually paying taxes and um, found out that he was garnishing her wages for the taxes but never turning them in. So we had him on tax evasion, and also there were many labor laws that he had been breaking. So when we walked in with this lawyer and introduced who he was, this employer who was not a very nice man to interact with changed from being very defensive to, yes, sir, I understand, sir. And as soon as we had the authority and power behind us going into the situation, um, this man was a Christian and in response was not going to allow these sort of injustices to happen and um, was able to respond in that way. And now she is getting 
uh, paid monthly in small sums the amount of money that he had essentially been stealing from her and exploiting her. Wow. That's a, I just think it's a great example of working, you know, within the framework of the authority of our government to, uh, to try and love and serve and to bring justice to a situation. Uh, so, and there's, tons of stories like that. It's one of the coolest things about getting to know this organization is the kind of work that they're doing is really grassroots and it's just, it's, it's powerful um, to be able to bring a voice and advocate for, um, for people who really feel like they have no voice in this whole thing. Um, so I really appreciate you being up here, Danielle, to, to share. It's a, you guys have no idea, like this is one of the coolest, uh, this, they actually just recently became an official nonprofit, but you won't find a much cooler nonprofit than this. Um, uh, they're doing incredible work in, uh, in, in our midst in Alexandria. So I do want to make a, uh, a shameless plug. So um, this Saturday, Grace Community Church uh, has actually, we've organized, and w- w- this wasn't planned, it wasn't scripted like this. It's not like we organized it because we were bringing Danielle up here to try and impress her or whatever. Um, we've had this in the works for a long time. But it's this coming Saturday. If you look in your bulletin, you'll actually see it's like, it's right there in one of, the, one of the deals. We're just throwing a big party to go out and support the neighborhood and to try and love our neighbors. And there's tons of kids. We're going to have moon bounces and all sorts of fun things. And that's just an opportunity for us as a church to show some support and to rally um, around our neighbors, just to love our neighbors. Um, so um, what, what you were just kind of describing that event as a great opportunity. It's kind of a great opportunity to get your, to dip your toes in the water and to take that first step to come down, to see the neighborhood, to see some of your uh, fellow members of the congregation interacting with the children and families and the relationships that they've already built. And then who knows, maybe the Lord might spark something in your heart that you may want to come and become a volunteer or become a mentor for one of the students. Because in, in Trilago, we say that um, programs don't transform people, that it's relationships that do. And so through the building of the relationship over the long haul is really what um, is an opportunity that you have to share with a student and to um, disciple them and to share your life and how Christ has impacted it. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, it's funny. I don't know what your idea is. Like, you might think Danielle's totally crazy. Like, I kind of did at first. She just moved into the neighborhood and was just, like, hanging out for eight months. And then they started this program in their apartment, you know, and then it evolved into this church fellowship hall area where it is now. So I go down there to check this thing out, and I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be really wild. It's going to be interesting, you know. You guys, this is amazing. What you don't know is that Danielle's, uh, one of the co-founders with Danielle, her name is Emily. Uh, She actually, um, uh, you see her around here uh, quite a bit. But Emily uh, is, like, her whole background is in education. She's a teacher, after-school programs. And so, oh, my gosh, this thing is like a tight ship, well-run operation. It's incredible. Um, just to be able to be a part of that. I actually was down there for about the first five months of this year. I was down there uh, once a week um, serving, you know, in that role, just being a a mentor, being a a tutor for the kids, helping them with their homework. And really, it's like 3 to 5 o'clock in the afternoon, which I know is hard for many of your schedules, but, like, if you can even do 4 o'clock is, like, really where you start the one-on-one homework stuff. And there's even some opportunities later in the evening, right, for some mentoring and things like that with some other kids. But let me tell you something, you guys. Um, As great it is we're doing this event on Saturday, what makes this thing go, and as great as Danielle and Emily are, when there's 20 first, second, and third graders in this room set up at different tables, if there aren't a whole ton of volunteers there, 
It's not good, okay? You know what I'm saying? It just, the engine that makes it go are the committed volunteers who w- are willing to build into these kids' lives. And it's, it's incredible. It, it's an incredible pro. I cannot encourage you enough to, to check it out, to come down. It, and it's, it's infectious. I mean, the vision, the, 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 the commitment that, that everybody has down there and uh, the, the bond that they're making with the families, the partnership with local organizations down there, um, it's, it's awesome. So this is a real treat to have Danielle here with us today. Uh, you're not going to get much better than this to know what are the organizations that are really having an impact on the ground level. This is, this is the stuff right here. And we're thrilled that we happen to stumble upon Casa Chiralagua as a church. So um, anyway, why don't we say a quick prayer for, for um, that ministry? Uh, Father God, we just want to thank you for, um, for Casa Chiralagua and for um, all the lives that are being impacted, God, uh, for uh, folks like Danielle and Emily um, who are wrestling with what it means to follow you, Jesus, and to follow your commands, but to still work within the framework of um, the laws in this country and to, 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 to manage both of those things, God. And uh, I just celebrate the work that they're doing. And I pray that, that many people would be inspired to get involved um, right here in this room today. Uh, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, Danielle and I will be back in the lobby by the Connect table after the service. If you'd like to talk to her, there's ways to sign up online, which you see in the bulletin, but you can also find out more. You want to get involved with mentoring opportunities and things like that. Um, We would love to talk to you after the service. So um, thank you, Danielle. We appreciate it. So just one thing that I want to say so that we don't lose, lose sight of, of why I brought her up here. Um, I'm not trying to make any sort of a political statement. We don't believe in making political statements at Grace, okay? Uh, we, we just don't. Um, so the reason that I brought her up here is regardless of where you stand on the whole immigration issue, that is totally irrelevant, okay? That's, that's not what this is about. What this is about is, is simply trying to show you that the, 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 the gospel message, right? What we're reading about today in First Peter has bearing on our lives today. And we really think hard and we search the scriptures about what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to act like him, what it means to follow God's commands. That can bring us into some difficult things and to question things. And that's a good thing to question those things. And so we have to kind of manage this, this dynamic between, between ultimate allegiance to Christ and following what God commands, but also how do we do that in an appropriate way within you know, the context of what our wonderful government has set up for us in this country? How do we do that in a, in a, in a legal way, in a, in a submissive way? So that's what we're about, and I just really appreciate, Danielle, again, that you'd be willing to share that. All right, so just got a couple uh, last verses to go through. And uh, we're going to start in verse 16. We pick it up in verse 16, where Peter writes, Live as free people. you got to remember, these are not free people in any sense. They're being persecuted. Many of them are living as slaves in the Roman Empire. He says, live as free people. But don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Crazy countercultural words. But what Peter is doing there is he is reminding us of this incredible truth. And this incredible truth is that we are completely free as believers in Jesus Christ. We are free 
Okay, we're forgiven of everything we've ever done, anything that we ever will do. We are completely free in Christ. The gospel message is about this radical sense of freedom and equality. So to these people that that Peter's writing to, he's saying, like, you're totally free. Yeah, you may be a slave. Yeah, you may be oppressed. Yeah, this, this authority may be over you, but you're free. You're free to do whatever you want. But then in the next breath, what does it say? He says, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. The point here is that, yes, there's radical freedom in Jesus Christ. There's radical equality. But it doesn't mean that we can just, you know, be, have total anarchy. It doesn't mean we can just go wild and crazy. And just because someone's doing something that we don't like, we can just, we can just go postal on them. That's not what he's saying there. If someone's evil towards you, you don't return evil back. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel message. And here's why not. I told you we're coming back to verse 12. Here it is. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, here we go, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So the reason that we submit to human authority, even authority that we don't agree with, even authority that is persecuting us in some way, the reason we submit ourselves to human authority is for the Lord's sake, those four big words. It's for the sake of advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself, uh, in his Sermon on the Mount, which is a radical countercultural stuff that he preached. Um, he was explaining to the people, he was actually giving them a command. And um, you got to understand the context before, before we go into this command. So basically, uh, for the people of that time, they were under Roman rule in Jesus' day as well. And so they're under Roman rule. And basically, uh, if a Roman soldier, the Roman soldiers who were kind of policing the whole area and were enforcing all the, the rules and, and kind of oppressing the people, um, if a Roman soldier asked you, uh, during, you know, the middle of the day or whatever, hey, I need you to carry all my stuff, my gear, my pack, you know, um, you would have to do that. That was one of the laws that the Romans had set up to give their soldiers some relief. So it didn't matter what you were doing, where you were going, someone asked you, you had to walk a mile in whatever direction that soldier was going. Now, we live in D.C. Um, we get upset when we're like sitting in traffic and someone like changes lanes real quick. You know how they, and they don't even put the blinker on. You know, that's really annoying. And they just slip right in front of you. And now you're like another car length away from getting home. You know what I'm saying? And it's so annoying because you've been delayed by probably another 10 or 15 seconds, you know? And here we have, you're, you're a citizen, you know, you're a Jewish person, whatever. And like all of a sudden, boom, you got to walk a whole mile in a totally different direction. And you're in the Middle East, which probably is no picnic. We've had some heat this week, so we can kind of relate a little bit to what that would have been like. I mean, this is terrible. Not only that, you guys, not only that, but you're not just inconvenienced, not just someone cut you off in traffic and delayed you, but you're carrying the pack of your oppressors. Do you understand how humiliating that is? That is just so humiliating. You got to walk with that pack. It's a symbol of like how you're just having to submit to that power for a whole mile. And Jesus teaches on this. This is crazy. This is nuts what he says. He says in Matthew 5.41, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. What? What is with that? Go with them two miles? Well, think about this for a minute, okay? You walk the first mile with that soldier. 
And the soldier says, thank you. Or maybe the soldier doesn't say thank you. Maybe the soldier says something else to you, but you're done. Okay, at that point, you can drop the pack and you're done. You can go back to whatever your day was, you know, whatever you were doing. At that point, you say to the soldier, you know, I had to carry the pack that one mile, you know, under your authority. But I answer to a higher authority. I answer to God. And God has commanded me to take your pack an additional mile. I'm not doing that for you. I'm doing that for God. I'm doing that because God loves me and God loves you. And I would be honored to serve you, not because you tell me that I have to, not because you command me that I have to hold your pack, but I would be honored to serve you, to show you how much God loves you. I'll carry your pack for you willingly, voluntarily. Do you you understand how powerful that is? Do you understand the difference? You see, if Jesus had said, you know, if someone forces you to carry your pack, what I want you to do is I want you to take a little switchblade out. And I want you just to get them right in the back when they take that pack off. Does the gospel advance that way? If Martin Luther King Jr. had said to those who were just desperate to be able to have the same rights that everyone else in this country had, if Martin Luther King Jr. had stood up and said, you know, I want you, I want you to just go wild. Let's just get a bunch of guns. Let's just go nuts. Let's just make such a stinking mess that we just won't shut up and eventually they'll give us what we want. Is that how it went down? No. See, here's the, here's the point here, you guys. The way that the gospel advances is through love. Do you realize that a few hundred years after this letter was written, when, when people who were being oppressed by the mighty Roman Empire just continued to submit and to love people and to love and to love and to serve and to love and to submit. You know what happened a few hundred years later? The mighty Roman Empire fell to Christianity. Do you know that? It became a Christian nation. Christianity won. It, it was swept across the nation because of living out the gospel of love. Live such good deeds among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits with us. See, what Jesus and Peter were advocating in this submitting to human authority is you're actually working within the system to change the system. You know what I'm saying? We all have things. You know, we love our government, okay? Praise God that we live in the United States. Praise God for this country. Best country in the world. Okay, but there's all things we don't agree with, right, about our government, the way certain things are and what have you. If there's something that we don't agree with, if there's some change that we want to advocate for, the clear message that Jesus and Peter and the whole Bible is, is clear in saying is that we submit to authority, we work within authority, we work within systems to change systems. Because you see, when we don't work within the system, we lose our voice. We lose our credibility. We've totally blown it. People aren't going to come to Christ and and realize how much God loves them when we're just doing all sorts of crazy stuff and we're returning evil for evil. The gospel doesn't advance through chaos or anarchy or violence. It never has. It never will. It advances through love, period. And Peter has struggled tremendously with this. I'll just leave you with this. He struggled tremendously with this. In his life, he's like the first guy. He's the, he's the, you know, act first, think second kind of guy. You know people like that? 
They're beautiful, man. They, they, I mean, they, they just cause all sorts of great, interesting drama around. Um, so Peter's that guy, you know? And so Jesus is explaining to his disciples, he's like, guess what, guys? Um, I, I gotta break some really bad news to you. The whole, God's whole plan for this thing is, um, you know, the way that people will be redeemed and saved of their sins and, and this whole thing's gonna go down. I'm actually living this life this perfect life that you can't live, and I'm going to die on a cross for you. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. I'm going to be raised from the dead. And uh, it's, that's how it's going to work. So it's kind of a bummer for you guys. We're friends, but it's, it's good for, for everybody. Trust me. I'm deeply paraphrasing, please. And, um, and uh, so anyway, Peter hears this in, um, this is in um, Matthew 16. And Peter hears this. And he says to Jesus, he says, never, Lord, this will never happen to you. You can imagine Peter just jumping up and he's like, come on, who's going to, who's going to take you down? Who, who's going to do this to you? And, and Jesus, his strongest rebuke that's recorded in scripture is for Peter. And he says, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. So Peter's way off course, doesn't get it. In the garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is arrested, the night that he's arrested, they come and they grab him. The authorities come and they grab him. Peter takes out a sword and he cuts off one of the servant's ears. And Peter stops, or Jesus stops. He says, Peter, come on, man. Heals the man's ear. And he says, that's not the way this thing works. It's not the way it works. That's not the way the gospel advances. It's not, it's not how it works. And finally, Peter gets it. He gets it. He struggled to understand it all through Jesus' life. Now, in 1 Peter 2, 21 through 24, look, it says, he's writing these words and he gets it. So this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. And here we go, verse 23. Pay close attention because here, here is the example. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. What Peter is saying there is Jesus Christ is our example. He's the one we follow. And get this, guys. When they got ugly with him, when they hurled their insults at him, when they just did all sorts of evil stuff to him, he did not retaliate. He didn't go there. He didn't get pulled down to their level. Okay? That's the example that we follow. So what he's saying to these, to these Christians, what Peter's writing to these, he says, look, look, I know you're being oppressed. Okay? I know you're dealing with authorities that you, that you think there's no reason you should have to submit to because you're free in Christ. You're radically free. He says, that's great. But for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ, Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel because that's how this thing works. Don't lose your voice. Don't sink to their level. Don't return ugly for ugly because that might get you somewhere in the short term, but that's not how the kingdom of God advances. You may be here today and you may be dealing with some authority figures in your life or whatever, and man, it's really frustrating you. This message is not a message that you should take and say, well, I guess I came to church today and it was, they were all about submitting to authority, so I guess I'm supposed to stick out this horrific, oppressive thing. And somehow, if I just love and serve them more and be more of a doormat for them, that somehow, you know, it's going to all be better and it's all going to work out and the gospel's going to advance and they're all going to receive Christ. I mean, that'd be beautiful, right? That would be amazing. Um, and I'm not saying it can't happen. But I'm also saying that that's, what I'm not saying the takeaway is, is that necessarily you're supposed to stick that out. 
mean, you know, you have to pray through that and discern that. But um, not definitely not saying that. But what I am saying is that, you know, whatever it is, whether it's, a, whether it's an oppressive boss or an oppressive housing situation or it's an oppressive, you know, it's, it's something that you don't agree with that our government's doing, okay? Here's the deal. We are called to submit to those authorities for the sake of Jesus Christ and to act in a manner worthy of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, um, we thank you for what we studied today. And uh, Lord, it is countercultural. Um, we don't hear a lot of people telling us to submit to authorities, especially ones that are not doing what they're supposed to be doing. But God, your ways are higher than our ways. And we are here to submit for your sake. Lord, let us never, ever, ever compromise our ultimate allegiance to you, Jesus. Let us never do anything that would fly in the face of what you clearly command us to do. Help us to navigate those waters and to submit and be respectful and to be a great example, but to still advocate for change, God, but to do it the right way. We thank you, God, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.